0: We work with common people. They don't want to hate each other. They love each other a lot. But they can read the hate stories in newspapers, in social media. So we're trying to
1: remind them that this is not right. Stemming the tide of illiberalism. Is there a playbook? Today on In Asia, from the Asia Foundation. I'm John Rieger. And
2: I'm Tracy Yang. With political turmoil at home and democracy ebbing in many parts of the world, President Joe Biden has promised a global democracy summit before the end of his first year in office. But if he holds it in Southeast Asia, he'll find a political environment that looks a lot less democratic than it did just a decade ago.
1: Joining us now to discuss democracy and its discontents in Southeast Asia are the Asia Foundation's Associate Director of Governance, Peter Yates, and Program Officer Ade CT from our pilot program in Indonesia reclaiming civic space to promote democratic resilience or as we call it RCS. Ade and Peter, welcome to In Asia.
3: Hi John, hi Tracy, really nice to join you.
0: Thank you John, thank you Tracy for having us.
1: Before we start, wait, tell, tell me where you both are.
0: I'm here in Jakarta. We're stuck at home because we are now in lockdown situation Usually, you know, Saturday morning here, I'm gardening, planting some vegetables. No, I'm very happy that uh, I'm talking with you.
3: And and Peter, what about you? I'm in Australia. I'm currently at home uh, hosting my 10-year-old son's birthday sleepover party. So apologies if we have some special guests throughout (laughs) our chat.
1: Well, it's wonderful to have you both here. Thank
2: you. So Peter, these are painful times for friends of democracy in many parts of the world, Southeast Asia included. But a democracy summit certainly argues for hope, uh, however slim of reversing the tide. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, what is the state of democracy in Southeast Asia today?
3: Uh, well, Tracy, I think the first thing to recognise when we're talking about democracy in Southeast Asia is that it's always been contested, right? And it's never been the status quo across the region. Democracy as a form of government has always been under pressure to demonstrate it can perform as an effective form of government when compared to more liberal forms that you might find across the region. But when we look at the current state of democracy and more recent trends, I guess there's, there's not a lot of good news. Democratic institutions are under significant strain in many countries in the region, um, whether that be because of questionable electoral systems or executive governments moving to squash independence of judiciaries or the media or generally just making it harder for civil society to thrive and play that important accountability role that they should. I think governments generally are feeling more comfortable to attack democratic institutions to consolidate their own power.
1: What does public opinion tell us about the state of democracy in Southeast Asia?
3: Well, a recent study in six countries in Southeast Asia found uh, an overwhelming support for democracy, right? Um, But also there's significant anxiety about the integrity of key institutions. That message comes through um, in almost all surveys that you conduct in Southeast Asia, that democracy is a form of government that the people and citizens want, but obviously often institutional government have different opinions about that.
1: Well, so this brings us to the $64,000 question for all of us who are wringing our hands about the state of democracy in the world. How can the retreat of democracy in Asia and elsewhere be reversed? Siti, you are part of an experiment to do just that, the Foundation's Reclaiming Civic Space to Promote Democratic Resilience Program, or RCS. How does RCS work?
0: Yes, The goal of the program is to strengthen democratic institutions and to improve the quality of democratic processes in Indonesia. We try to provide alternative narrative to identity politics, so we provide capacity building on democratic values. We promote citizen journalism, including how we use media wisely to promote a healthy democracy. We also facilitate various forums, Women Forum, Youth Forum, People with Disabilities Forum, and then the creation of coalitions to identify their shared agendas and push local politicians to take into account development issues rather than, you know, busy responding to identity politics contestation in the region.
2: Okay, replacing the discourse of division with constructive conversations and coalitions. So what does success look like for this pilot program?
3: I think for for RCS, and more generally, the concept of democratic resilience, it's about bolstering and strengthening the existing democratic institutions that are already existence in any one place. So democratic resilience, you know, really refers to the political system's ability to cope, survive, and recover from the 21st century governance challenges that you know, we see across the world and, and specifically here in Southeast Asia. So for this project, identifying the importance of local narratives and how they inform people's perceptions of the importance of democracy. If we're able to see those narratives change, to be focused on constructive conversations about governance, local level issues, and if you can see conversations happening between citizens and their political representatives who hold political power and decision-making capabilities, that's where we think success lies and, and what we'll be looking to achieve.
1: The forces that democracy has been contending with have an uncanny power to set people against one another. They're mm-hmm. divisive. They're sectarian. They're, yes. These tools are wielded by, wielded by people who seem to have an instinct for finding s- social groups and stigmatizing them and, yes. you know, angering the mob. Yeah. Does this program have the tools to deal with that superpower?
0: Well, yes. That, that happened in Indonesia. You know, they use religion, ethnicity to fight each other. And the social media is one of the tools that they use uh, freely. For my opinion, civic space is a key. Therefore, we try to get the civic space back. We try to provide capacity to our partners to at least say no against the sectarian narrative that they face daily, you know, in, in their daily life.
1: I understand that some of your approach to building democratic resilience was inspired by successes in the field of countering violent extremism. Is that correct? And what did you learn? What have we learned from countering violent extremism that can be applied to bolster democratic resilience?
3: Much like violent extremism narratives, anti-democratic narratives don't come out of nowhere. They start at the grassroots level. And so this programming is an attempt to recognize that and to address the problem at the root cause at the local level where there's an opportunity for people to decide how they talk about and discuss these issues, whether they're talking about their local problems in terms of how they can be fixed, a problem solving approach that is about participatory discussion or whether they are framed by illiberal thought, framed by discourses that are about um, separating and causing division within local communities. And so that's, that's what we're trying to address here at the local level, at the root cause.
2: So how do you reclaim this space and keep divisive politics from taking over?
3: I think RCS is an example of the importance of offering an alternative, offering a constructive alternative to these anti-liberal narratives by supporting civic space and civic actors to be able to encourage those narratives to have create spaces where they can be promoted and discussed is a really important characteristic of a program and something that we are looking to achieve.
0: We work with common people. They don't want to hate each other. They love each other a lot. But they can read the head stories in newspapers, in social media. So we're trying to remind them that this is not right, and then we have to be a champion to stand against this one. You're
2: really emphasizing local context, local narratives, and how important that is. And that that's a lot of work. And I think I think that's the most um, daunting.
3: We know that rhetoric's not enough, right? We know that mm-hmm. claims of democratic practice by presidents who often have illiberal tendencies um, isn't enough. And so this is really recognising that the local level is where it begins and where much more powerful trends and movements start from. And so we do want to deal with the nitty gritty at the micro level of these challenges about what, what the conversation is at the local level and what communities and people and local groups are talking about what matters to them and how we can ensure it's those issues that are informing democratic practice and how decisions are being made in a more participatory way.
1: The Asia Foundation's Peter Yates and Ade Siti. Thank you both for joining us today.
3: Thanks, John. Thanks, Tracy.
0: Thank you. It is a lovely to talk with you.
1: And that's our show for this week. Ade and Peter have written at greater length about democratic resilience in Southeast Asia in this week's blog. Please take a few minutes and check it out. And while you're there, subscribe to the in Asia podcast. I know I do.
2: We're taking some time off in August.
1: Cancun again?
2: I never went to Cancun. Okay. But we'll be back on September 1st. We hope you'll join us. Until then, I'm Tracy Yang.
1: And I'm John Rieger.
2: Thanks for listening.